Good evening. I hope you're all doing well. We are continuing our discussion on racial injustice, having already laid out the ground rules or important truths that we need to remember uh, last week. Now, this week, uh, similar to what we did with the LGBTQ portion of our study, we're going to look at the history and background of racial injustice. Now, I'm sure that there will be uh, some who will prefer that we jump right into some of the claims that uh, are currently being discussed today. But I want to encourage you not to skip over this portion of our study. There's a lot that we're going to be covering. It's going to be very uh, history focused, but that's going to be important because I believe a portion of the problem and the division that we're facing in, uh, in our world today and in our communities today is because we're not putting this concept of racial injustice into context. As with anything else, if we look at something out of context, we're more likely to overlook some things while also overemphasizing other things. And some of these things that we're either overlooking or overemphasizing are going to be uh, very important to our discussion. So well, we're going to look at a lot of history this week. Uh, and then towards the end, we're going to lay out some important things to consider in light of the context we're talking about. But since there's so much to cover, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Now, as Christians, we believe that the various races come from the lineage of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we see these individuals in Genesis 10, where the biblical text tells us that um, where these sons and their descendants end up spreading out to and the various nations that spring from them. Eventually, Shem's descendants become the people of the Middle East, Ham's descendants become the people of Africa, and Japheth's children become the people of Asia and Europe. But before they spread out uh, and go to their various geographical locations, they cluster together and, uh, and, are, and found the city of Babel, which would later become Babylon, which is in modern day Iraq. Now, uh, their scattering came about in Genesis 11 when God confused their language uh, and they, uh, they pushed, uh, kind of pushed them away from one another um, and they, they began to spread out. Now, it's important to understand that from the very beginnings of early human history, from these accounts that we see in Genesis and just uh, from what we understand in, in humanity, is that people naturally rallied around people who are like them and they distanced themselves from people who are not like them. We see this in the Tower of Babel. Once they had different languages, different cultures, they began to spread out. Uh, this is the case for all people, all nations, all cultures, for as far back as we can remember. This is true of white people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people, and any other nationality or culture you want to point to. Now, some will look at this and they'll point out and say, well, this uh, that's the result of sin. This isn't something that we ought to do. This is something uh, this is not something that we should uh, recommend just because it's something that we normally do doesn't mean that it's something that's good. It's, it's a result of sin. And I will completely agree with that. We see here from the Genesis account that it's because God was judging the people because of the sinfulness of their heart. They were not uh, being fruitful and multiplying all over the whole face of the earth. They were uh, in many cases wanting to make a name for themselves and, and fame for themselves that God spread them out. It's because of sin that God confused the people and scattered them. It's because of sin that people lean towards people who are like them and away from people who are dissimilar from them. So, yes, I'm not excusing this particular sin or condoning it or anything like that. My point is that this is not a white thing, black thing, American thing or anything like that. It's a fallen humanity thing. Uh, this kind of racism, this kind of division and disunity is not, it's deeper than just skin deep. It is, 
it goes to the um, the sinful and fallen heart of humanity. And here's why this is important. If we tear down the American system because we believe that it is racially unjust and we replace it with something else, which we'll have to do, what makes us think that what we're going to replace it with is any better? It will still be composed of fallen people who have fallen sinful hearts, who, because of that fallen sinful nature, tend to lean towards people who are like them, talk like them, have the same views, values, and culture as them, and away from people who are unlike them. And so we need to understand that while we do need to root out injustice in the world around us, we need to be equally vigilant not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some really great things about our culture and about our civilization. There are really great things in every culture and civilization. And there are some really bad things. And so let's root out the bad stuff. Let's get rid of those sinful things while also keeping and maintaining and protecting those things which ought to be protected, which are good and, and um, noteworthy. And so going back to the history of racial injustice, um, as humanity began to spread out and as uh, it began to grow across the face of the earth, so did sin as well. People began to value wealth, security, and power above other people created in the image of God. This gave birth to slavery. Now, some of the first instances of slavery that are recorded in human history come from the Mesopotamia area. That is uh, the region that is in modern-day Middle East. We know from the Code of Hammurabi, which was a code, uh, law code in the Mesopotamia region, uh, and it dates as far back as 1860 BC. That's almost 2,000 years before Christ. Slavery was instituted as, as, as talked about in the Code of Hammurabi. And so this has been going around for a very, very long time. It's hard to uh, imagine just how far back it is, but it's not an exaggeration to say that from the very earliest times that humanity began to come together, build villages, cities, and other civilizations, people were oppressing other people. They were um, uh, gathering around people who were like them and pushing away or oppressing those who were not like them. Uh, this can be seen in every single culture in the world. Some of the most notable ones that we see uh, throughout human history are uh, there were slavery uh, in Egypt, China, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, India, Rome, the Arab Islamic states, and yes, in uh, European countries as well. There is not a single group who hasn't enslaved someone or been enslaved by someone else. Uh, black people have been enslaved. White people have been enslaved. Asian people have been enslaved. Hispanic people have been enslaved. It has been a common factor in all cultures and in all portions of human history. Now, there are several ways that this enslavement would occur. Sometimes a culture would enslave their own people, uh, maybe because of debt, uh, maybe because of committing crime or some religious transgression or whatever it may be, uh, they would enslave their own people. Uh, in other situations, people would conquer other nations or people groups and they would take the captives away as slaves. Both of these examples are seen throughout various cultures, and they even make their appearance uh, in Scripture as God's people, the Israelites, engaged in certain practices of slavery themselves. Now, I want to just pause there for a second, because whenever I mention that slavery is mentioned in the Bible, uh, sometimes people's uh, defenses go up. But let me be very clear here. Just because slavery is mentioned in the Bible, it does not mean that God condones slavery. It does not mean that uh, God approves of it or, you know, turns a blind eye to it. God has always, God has always and will always work 
and sinful people, broken, fallen people. Uh, when he first um, revealed himself to the Israelites, he revealed himself to a particular people in a particular culture in a particular time in the world. And so uh, he worked through them and and what was going on in their life. Uh, they were um, they had influences of the culture around them. That does not mean that God approved of many of those things, but he sowed the seeds and the principles and the teachings in uh, the Old Testament and in the New Testament that would eventually uh, abolish slavery uh, in the countries where Christianity and Judaism were dominant. Uh, Again, in the same way that Abraham had multiple wives, David, Solomon, uh, you go through the whole litany of, of godly people throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, just because they had certain things that were sinful doesn't mean that God condoned it. You know, with polygamy, God always wanted it to be one man, one woman for life joined together. Uh, but he still worked through some of these people who had uh, sinful areas of their life, just like he works in people today, even though we're not perfect either. So just, again, keep that in context. Now, um, slavery um, uh, that is talked about oftentimes in the context and in the conversations of uh, racial injustice often is uh, slavery uh, within the American history of the African people. Now, let me say at the outset, that this was truly a horrific practice that killed millions of of people. Some estimate that anywhere from 10 to 15 million Africans were forcibly enslaved and transported either to the United States, the Caribbean, or South America, or other portions of the world. 20 to 30 percent of them died in forced marches to these slave trading camps on the west coast of Africa or on the ships that, um, that took them uh, to the various countries where they would be sold. This was truly a dark part of human history, and nothing that I say no amount of context is meant to justify, uh, lessen, or minimize what happened. I do want to bring context to this discussion, but but I also want to be very clear that no amount of context is going to erase the pain uh, that has happened through these things. But this context is important for us to understand this conversation and to move forward in a productive way that is beneficial to all people. And so just keep that in mind. Now, one of the things that is often overlooked by some is that most of the African tribes were enslaving one another long, long before European slave traders stepped onto the scene. Throughout history, most Africans did not see themselves uh, or those around them as, as Africans, but rather as various tribes with, within this large landmass. These tribes were constantly battling one another for territory, resources, and other kinds of disputes. There is ample evidence that um, various regions in, uh, in Africa were warring with one another and enslaving one another on a regular basis. Uh, Singambia, the Guinea Coast, and other tribes were constantly practicing this long before any white people stepped onto the continent. In fact, um, um, this argument, this fact that um, the African tribes were enslaving one another was often given as uh, by pro-slavery Europeans as a justification for slavery. They thought, well, it's going to happen anyways, and we treat them more humane than their own people often will treat them, so therefore this is okay. I'm not making that argument. I don't think that justifies what happened, but I just point that out to show that uh, for as long as slavery has been around, especially as it revolves around the, uh, um, the African community, 
this was something that was going on long before Europeans stepped on and uh, stepped onto the continent. And when Europeans did, they recognized what was already going on. Now, it is also important to know that while it was something going on, when the European, uh, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the, the French, when they stepped onto the scene and began uh, taking advantage of the slavery that was already going on in the African country, that poured fuel on the fire. What was um, localized uh, slave trade, uh, it exacerbated that and grew that exponentially um, all around the world. And so these, these um, again, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Dutch, Europeans, uh, when they began using this, it, it grew it to an unprecedented uh, um, state. So uh, it's also important to understand as this began to develop and as this, as this began to, um, to unfold, a lot of times in our discussion, we think that the America, um, the America and the uh, colonies were were the vast beneficiaries of slavery, but that is not anywhere close to the truth. Um, the truth is the Portuguese were the ones who were doing most of the slave trading. It wasn't uh, England and France, uh, Portuguese and the, and the Spanish um, uh, nations there. They were the ones doing most of the slave trading. In fact, 90% of Africans who were enslaved uh, were enslaved and imported to by the Portuguese to the Caribbeans and to the South America. A small fraction of amount of, of the Africans who were enslaved went to America. About 6% of them found themselves in the British colonies, which would later become the United States. That does not mean to minimize the slavery that went on in America, but we need to keep in context that uh, America was not the predominant slave owner or trader in the region. It was the Portuguese and those in the Caribbeans in South America. Now, we also need to recognize that it wasn't just Africans who were a part of, of being enslaved during this time. There were white slaves who, who were um, mistreated and used and abused right along with many of the African slaves during this time. In fact, the Washington Post, which by no means is a conservative news outlet, they uh, they wrote, wrote in a recent article, quote, white indentured servants also vastly outnumbered uh, the enslaved Africans who made up just 3.5% of the colony's population. It wasn't until the turn of the 18th century that Virginia became the kind of slave society that we remember today with 40% of its population enslaved, end quote. And so we see there that even the Washington Post and other um, other reputable news outlets, uh, they testified that there were white slaves just like there were black slaves. And in fact, in the early part of America's history, there were more white slaves than there were black slaves. Many of these slaves came from England or Ireland. In fact, many of the slaves that came from England were because in the 1600s, there was a thing called the poor law that was enacted. This was a way for England to begin to get rid of its poor, those who were in debt, those who were orphans, lawbreakers, or under other undesirables. And they began arresting these people and then uh, making them, quote unquote, indentured servants or basically just enslaving them and sending them to the British colonies in America. It got so lucrative at one point that many times uh, they would just kidnap kids off the street and send them away. Uh, or they would get someone drunk in a bar, put them on a ship. And by the time they were halfway across the Atlantic, that's when they would sober up. 
um, by then it was too late. And so this was a way that they could do a number of things that they thought was beneficial to their society. They would clean up the streets of London. They would populate the colonies in America, and then they would generate much needed income through this type of slave trade. It was for them a win-win-win, except for those who ended up slaves. Um, Now, one particular account that I found as I was uh, looking at how some of these children and, and individuals in Europe and in England uh, were um, were captured and, and enslaved like this, there was one account uh, that documented on Christmas Eve in 1619, there were several young boys and girls from Bridewater, Middlesex, and other British cities that were snatched off the street and sold to the Virginia Company. And even after their parents found out what happened and petitioned the courts, uh, many of them never saw their kids again, or if they saw their kids, it wasn't until many, many years later. Often these indentured servants, uh, they were promised that they could eventually work out their uh, work for their freedom and, and get land that they could own there in the British colonies. But for the vast majority of them, they died in slavery and never saw uh, any freedom or any land or compensation uh, for that slavery. So again, it was white and black people often being enslaved uh, together. It should also be noted uh, noted that there were um, black landowners who owned both white and black slaves in the America colonies. In fact, one of the first legal battles in America uh, uh, that was a fight over whether or not you could keep a slave for life was by a uh, a former uh, slave, a black slave by the name of Anthony Johnson, who uh, he had won his freedom uh, and then he began to... Uh, set up plantations um, in Virginia as well as in Maryland. And Johnson owned uh, black slaves as well as white slaves. One of the black slaves that he owned was a man by the name of John Casser, who in 1653 was supposed to be freed from Johnson's um, um, ownership. But Johnson took him to court and the court ended up siding with Johnson that he could uh, keep Caster for the rest of his life. And so he was a former black slave who now owned white and black servants and uh, eventually uh, was able to take them to court to own at least John Caster, if not others, uh, for life. And so it wasn't just a white black thing. It was a sinful human heart thing. We need to keep that in context as we have these discussions. Uh, there was also uh, African-American author and historian Lerone Bennett, who also wrote about white and black slaves working together. He said this, and I quote, not only in Virginia, but also in New England and New York, the first blacks were integrated into forced labor systems that had little or nothing to do with skin color. That came later. But in the interim, a faithful 40-year period of primary importance in the history of America, black uh, men and women worked side by side with the first generation of whites, cultivating tobacco, clearing land, and building roads and houses, end quote. And so here he notes that there were, throughout a sizable uh, portion of America's founding, there weren't just black slaves, but there was black and white slaves both working together uh, um, and, and suffering together in many ways. In fact, uh, author and historian Edmund S. Morgan makes the observation that white and black slaves, when they cons- when they looked at one another, uh, they saw it this way. He says, and I quote, the two despised groups, that's white and black slaves, initially saw each other as sharing the same predicament. They saw themselves as in the same boat. That's that's how um, that's how they understood their current enslavement. Now, here's another thing that I think it's important for us to understand. While America did practice slavery, it abolished it in a relatively quick 
manner. If you take the founding of America in 1776 to the Emancipation Proclamation that ended legally ended slavery in America, which was 1863, America ended slavery in 87 years. 87 years. Now, can, take that into consideration when you look at England who from its founding to the time in 1833 when it uh, ended slavery was 767 years. Or Portugal, who was the main slave trader uh, throughout uh, human history, uh, at least in, in recent human history, from its founding to the time where it legally abolished slavery was 425 years. Or Brazil, who had the vast majority of the African slave trade imported into its country from its founding to when it legally abolished slavery was 372 years. And so we see that America very, very quickly ended slavery. Now, I know some would look at that and say, well, I don't think that uh, you're, you're being accurate with your dates. You know, there's a lot of discussion about 1611 uh, with the first import of slaves into the British colonies being um, the real founding of America's history. I do not agree with that. Um, that's not when America was founded. But let's just take that argument at face value and say, okay, 1611. We'll go with 1611 and let's not go with the Emancipation Proclamation. Let's go with the end of the Civil War because the Emancipation Proclamation wasn't enacted truly and enforced until the end of the Civil War. So in uh, 1865, if you go from 1611 to 1865, that's 254 years. Again, several hundred years before uh, uh, America ended slavery, if you go by those dates, several hundred years before any other uh, country as far as timeline, the length of uh, slavery that those uh, countries uh, had that practice. But let's go even further than that because some would say, well, you still got Reconstruction, you got Jim Crow, you got the Civil Rights Act, and so let's push that even further. Let's be, let's give them even more wiggle room. So let's take it from 1611 to 1964 when the Civil Rights Act was uh, enacted. That gives 353 years. If you even go 353 years, that's still many decades um, a shorter time span of slavery in America than than many of these other major uh, um, countries that had slavery around the same time. But also take into account that there are many countries that still practice slavery today. India has 18.4 million slaves. China, 3.4 million slaves. Pakistan, 2.1 million slaves. You could go on and on and on of all these other countries who still practice slavery today. And so, again, I'm not trying to minimize any anything. I don't want to minimize the hurt and pain that black people have experienced through slavery, Jim Crow, and all the other injustices that have come along the way. But my main point is in mentioning all these things is that we need to understand in context this issue that we're looking at, okay? While there are horrible things that have happened in America's history, that needs to be put in context of all the wonderful things that America was able to do. It abolished slavery quicker than any other country. People are able to uh, rise up and to succeed and be successful quicker in America than any other country. Are there, are there um, minorities that have a rough go of things here in America? Sure. But there are also white people who, who also have a hard time uh, of, uh, of life here in America as well. It's not a white or black thing. It's a life thing. It's a, it's a fallen humanity thing. I know that there are people who uh, talk about, you know, certain minorities have to play catch up because of the oppression of other people. 
or, you know, um, various injustices of the past still holding people back today. But here's the thing. These issues are not easily parsed out. It's not just black people who were oppressed and, um, and, uh, victimized throughout human history. As we've said in, in, in our time here, uh, this week, there have been white people who have been, um, victimized, oppressed and, and, um, and servitude and things of that nature. There have been Asian people, Hispanic people. There are in all cultures and all people groups. Everyone has had a, a rough go at things at some point. There is no such thing in all human history. There's been no such thing as uh, everyone being on an equal footing, equal plane. There are some people who are smarter, some people who are taller, some people who are more skilled in various sports and, and things like that. There is no such thing as um, uh, equal um, equal outcome for all people. We do need to remove as many bar barriers as we can, but we don't need to fall into this mindset that some people are being held back um, because of things done in the past. Let's look at what's going on today. And if you look at what's going on today, you can find many people of all different um, colors, ethnicities, cultures who are wildly successful. There are, are black Americans who are very famous, very wealthy, very successful. And there are white Americans who are very impoverished and struggling to get by and vice versa. It, it goes both ways. And so it's much more complicated than a lot of people give it uh, credit for. And that's the main thing. If I could leave you with nothing else, that's the thing I want us to really hone in on uh, this week and, and going forward is that this issue is so much more uh complicated and, and nuanced uh, than just your skin color or who your ancestors were. Um, there's a lot more factors that we need to consider. And so uh, let's approach this with humility. Let's approach this with a, an open mind that wants to see all the facts and all the evidence before we begin labeling people racist or before we begin tearing down our, our, um, our country um, wholesale. Let's make sure that we look at where the evidence is, because I believe that there is injustice. I believe that there may be some racism in our, in our uh, culture and in our communities, but we need to look at where it is and why it is and what we need to do about it. And it cannot be uh, all boiled down to just one particular thing. So, uh, thank you again for joining us this week. I hope that it's been beneficial and a blessing to each and every one of you. I hope you'll join us next week as we begin looking at some of the claims that are put out there and mentioned in media and the news and, and talk about around the water cooler. And as we look at some of those things and, and, and try to parcel out uh, what's true, what's not true, and how we move forward, I hope that uh, God will use this to bless you. Until then, take care and God bless.